Well, here we are again with another episode of the Armchair Managers podcast. It has been, again, a slightly quieter week in football, but with only a couple of big stories. But when we say big stories, they are big stories that are rocking the world of football, and particularly one which we'll get onto later in the show. Um, I'm Ross Evans. I'm here with my co-host, Dan Newton. Hello. And before we get into the big story, which is quite... we obviously quite a serious one which you'll hear later in the show um we want to start off talking about Solskjaer and Mourinho they're they're not getting on are they Dan? No um definitely not um you know for everyone who watched the my United Spurs game on the weekend obviously United won 3-1 and uh it was a pretty comfortable win for United in the end but um in the first half they did have a goal disallowed by VAR from a pretty ridiculous decision um, I don't know if you yeah. saw it, but basically, uh, Scott McTominay just handed off Hyungmin's son, and he went down, and yeah. it was all a you know a big deal, and it was kind of a, a ridiculous decision. Yeah. And uh, after it, the match, it was pretty sorry. poor. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty poor. Yeah, but after the match, um, Oigan and Solskjaer came out, and you know, obviously a bit happy after he won, and you wanted to maybe get under Mourinho's skin a little bit. Said that if his son had gone down like Hyungmin's son. Then he wouldn't have fed him when he came home. Obviously, a little weird joke, but um, it is just a joke. I think we can all agree. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Mourinho, uh, as Mourinho always does, seemed to take it quite personally, and decided yeah. to himself go on a rant about, you know, how it's a, you know it's disgraceful. You know, you shouldn't joke about that. You know, your know, when son's lucky that he has a better father than Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. It was all very um, ridiculous, quite frankly. Yeah. But I found and, it quite amusing. Yeah, I mean, from Mourinho especially, we're used to uh, rather erratic outbursts, less so from Solskjaer. Yeah, he's normally um, the, the guy who just sits there and smiles. Very calm, you know, as you say, a baby-faced assassin. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was certain, you know, from the bits I've seen of it, I haven't seen the actual interview, uh, surprisingly. Um, but it was... Uh, you know, as you say, maybe a bit of mind games with Ollie and Mourinho. You know, they had a bit of history with, you know, the patting each other on the head and stuff like that. And yeah, Ollie celebrating with Luke Shaw in front of Mourinho. I don't know if you've seen that picture doing the rounds. I did, yeah. Obviously, Ollie was Mourinho's replacement at Man United. So there's yeah. definitely a bit of bitterness there from Mourinho. Yeah. Um, but before we get into, you know, look forward to. Our favourite manager meltdowns, actually, that have, you know we've been thinking about since that is, you know, there have been some classics. Just what were your thoughts on the game in general? Um, I thought it was quite an interesting game, actually. I think it kind of showed the flaws of both sides. I think in the first half, United were quite defensive. They kind of sat back quite a bit. Um, you know, Spurs actually played quite well when it was nil-nil, and I think probably just edged it and deserved to go in one-nil. But I think then Mourinho kind of threw the game. Um, like he always does, as soon as they get 1-0 up, suddenly they just want to defend, and that's all they want to do. And with the pretty shoddy defenders they have, it's never going to work. But to the credit, you know, Man United really raised the tempo and actually took the game to Spurs in the second half and kind of showed that when they are positive, I think they're quite a good team. And I think in the end, deservedly uh, won, and won quite comfortably in the end. Yeah, it's... Um... You know, we actually both predict 
I think you predicted a Tottenham win and I predicted a 2-2 draw. So uh, in our in our last episode, so I, I guess we were wrong, um, as usual. <laughs> but yeah, United at times they did look a little devoid of ideas. Um, certainly, I thought their lineup showed you know a lack of pace um, in in that lineup, which I thought that certainly in the first half kind of looked like. Without the pace, they weren't very dangerous at all. Yeah, no, they um, definitely lacked um, a bit of energy as well. Quite, yeah. quite negative in the first half, I thought. Yeah, I mean, got to admit, Spurs did. The, the Spurs goal was a lovely bit of play, but you know, it's typical with the Spurs team at the moment. They get the first goal and they don't really seem to kick on from there. Yeah, which I, you know, I don't know if that's you know a Mourinho thing of once we get one nil up, we just try and hold on to it or. It's a mentality thing, like you know, I don't know, but it's definitely yeah. an issue for them because they've thrown away so many points from uh, winning positions. Yeah, and they are now uh, three points behind Liverpool in sixth, and they are five points behind a Europa League spot in uh, Chelsea in fifth. Do you think Tottenham's push for a European position might be over with that, or do you, with seven games left to go? Um, think, I mean, think I, they might push, pull it back. I mean, I'd never say never in, in this situation. You know, we've seen a lot of crazy results this season. So um, I wouldn't put it past them. But t- to be honest, I think there's too many better teams ahead of them with too little games to kind of recover yeah. from. So, I, yeah, no, I do think it probably is over unless they win, like, the next seven, which, you know, I think is very unlikely. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's something that we'll see from them I'm afraid, afraid for Tottenham fans but United you know they've won four on the bounce in the league now um, you know they're playing even, even even their bad performances are better than previous bad performances let's say you know if they put in a bad performance last season um, you know you knew it was game over straight away but now they've shown a bit of resiliency and a bit of bounce back ability and I think it's a you know, looking forward into next season, it's probably it's a good time to be a Man United fan, I think. Yeah, potentially. Um, like I said, I think when they set out with their best team and they play positively, I think they can be quite good. I just worry that sometimes they set up too negatively. But um, yeah. yeah, well, that, that'll probably, we'll sort of see more about that next season. Well, we certainly see, we'll see with how that goes next season. But you know, now, part back to what we just said, we're going to talk about our favourite manager meltdowns. Now, this is kind of a top 10, I guess, but it's more, you know, we've picked five each, so we just think, oh, we find funny, we think, you know, we really, really enjoy watching these moments. There's some classics in there, in there like, historically from the, you know, the early years of the Premier League to some more modern meltdowns and, you know, and incidents, uh, you know, we... We're just going to run you through these. And as always, if you want to let us know what you think, you can interact with us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is in the uh, description of this podcast. So let us know what you think. Is there any we missed out? Are there any funnier than what we've said? I think we are very Premier League heavy. So there's some from uh, around the world that we might have missed. Do let us know. Be looking forward to interacting with you on there. But until then, Dan, do you want to take us through your five favourite manager meltdowns? Yeah, sure. So I'll start with a quick one. Um, I don't know if we'd brought it up because we were just talking about him, but uh, 
I want to take you all back to um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first job in the Premier League. Obviously, he was managing Cardiff um, quite unsuccessfully. And there was one game where they played in Liverpool and they just lost 6-3 to Liverpool, which is a a pretty unique scoreline, to be honest. I don't seem to remember a lot of 6-3s. But um, no. afterwards, he was asked by the uh, journalist or the interviewer, do you think Liverpool are title contenders? To which he replied, I couldn't care less and just le- left. He just walked out, which um, I just find quite amusing. And it kind of shows how he's changed, I think. See, I don't think he'd do that nowadays. You know, he's trying to get into no. mind games Mourinho where before he was just, he just seems so fed up. You know, go and find the video if you can, because it is funny. He's so I mean, annoyed. Being a, you know, Man United legend as well, he, he really did firmly nail his colours to the mast there. He, you know, he yeah. really doesn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, he's even got that weird Norwegian Manchester accent, which yeah. know, tells you all you need to know about him. But uh, yeah, I just thought I'd start with that one, just a little quick one. Um, yeah. Maybe a lesser known one, but it's the one that I just, I find very amusing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly maybe one of the lesser known ones, but certainly, definitely uh, entertaining to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, what What's uh, one of yours? Um, my first one that I've picked out, because I think it's hilarious, and it also led to one of the funniest celebrations in football for me, is in 2008... Uh, Phil Brown's whole city were uh, playing Manchester City. I don't think they were playing very well at all. And Phil Brown led his team talk on the pitch in front of the fans. And, it, I mean, we've all seen Jimmy Bullard's celebration for whole city imitating this. But seeing Phil Brown stood with his players in a circle, sat on the ground with them, all hugging their knees like naughty school children as he wagged a finger at every single one of them, was so entertaining. He was furious. And how getting to see that live, you know, was oh, just brilliant. So entertaining. Yeah, it's probably one of the most, like, iconic things I can think of, is just them all sat there, like you said, just like little school children getting yelled at by a teacher. It's, it's such a strange thing to do. I almost wonder why we've not seen it again from anyone. Because uh, I mean, I don't know if it was. I don't know if they turned the game around. I suspect they probably didn't. Um, but uh, no, it's just such a a funny image. As it's something you'd think would happen at like Sunday League, not in the Premier League. Yeah, it's certainly something you see in a Sunday League. I think it's something I've experienced on the Sunday League uh, on a football pitch, on a rugby pitch, on almost every pitch I've played on. Actually, points to my sporting acumen, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just I think it's one of those that will be, always pop up in any compilation clips. If you know angry or funny manager moments, it's always going to be there. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I think it's quite like an iconic image, really, and definitely a very funny one. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna follow that one straight up with a next one, which again is, I also think is iconic, um, and it but it comes from the early days of the Premier League when Newcastle were title contenders against Manchester United, I think everyone should know what I'm talking about. It's Kevin Keegan's infamous, I will love it if we beat them, rant. Yeah, like I said, it, it, that is actually like an iconic moment. Not just because it's yeah. funny, like it was such a good title race between the two of them. And it's yeah. just, uh, yeah, what probably the most memorable on this list, I'd say. Yeah, and it was, you know, 
Ferguson playing some incredible mind games in a tight race with Kevin Keegan's um, Newcastle team. And I believe Manchester United, you know, or Ferguson rather suggested that teams play harder against Manchester United because they actually see them as a threat or something similar to that. Yeah, it was was worse than his effect, yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, something that Keegan evidently was incensed by and he was not happy. Yeah, I think Um, as well, in the end, I think, you know, Newcastle ended up blowing like an eight-point lead and United went on to win the title. So it clearly you know, got under his skin and I think maybe it cost them the whole title, really. Yeah, it, you know, it did. Newcastle, I think they bottled their last three games. Um, Ferguson's United, I believe, went on to win the title as well when it was, oh, it's, again, one of those moments that you watch, you just think, this will be around for a long time and it still is. I, I, you know, a lot of people know that clip again, like the Phil Brown one, something that always comes up in... Uh, compilations and it is so good to watch yeah definitely yeah the raw emotion from keegan you can see he is really really upset and angry the voice cracking the the little wobbles of the chin his eyes you know slightly wild but just looking a bit more moist than than usual you know he he is yeah he's oh fantastic i love it yeah he really just absolutely lost it yeah yeah uh, so for one of mine next, um, I've got a list to pick from, but I think I'm going to go with a Mourinho one, considering, you know, I just spoke about Oli, and it's Oli Mourinho is what kind of set this list off. So um, yeah. f- for me, I've got two I could pick from, we'll get onto them both eventually, but first of all, I'm going to go for the three for me, two for them rant. I think you know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yes. Respect. Respect, respect. Um probably the highlight of Mourinho's time at Man United. Um, yeah. In all, all, all respect, it did not go very well for him. Considering you won the Europa League with them, I think. That... Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I don't think United fans look on uh, Mourinho or things like that very fondly. Um, but no, definitely one of the funnier moments of his time there. And uh, for, yeah. for, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was basically he played, I think it was Spurs at Old Tradford and they just lost 3-0, which is a really bad result against Spurs um, at the yeah. time. Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking of 3-0, he then went on to, you know, complain about not having respect for the media and was saying that he had three Premier League titles, whereas everyone else in the league only had two. You know, three for me, two for them. And it just, yeah. I think it really sums up Mourinho over the last sort of five, six years. Of, um, yeah. He's definitely living off kind of past glories, unfortunately. You know, yeah, I'm a big fan of him, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a a funny one in you know a classic Mourinho rants. Yeah, another another classic Mourinho one. And sometimes do you almost think that like Mourinho's attitude, sometimes things like this, do you almost think there's a bit of an act like he's playing the media, like he doesn't actually care too much. It, it, sometimes it comes across like he's playing the media, but sometimes. Uh, th- you're not quite sure. Do you think he plays or do you think that is genuine emotion? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think there's definitely a part of him. Um, I think especially with the, you know, the latest instance with Oli, where he's definitely trying to deflect from maybe the players or, you know, his own performance as a manager and just get people talking about him as yeah. Jose Mourinho. 
you know, rather than what he's doing on the pitch. Yeah. Um, but I do think in, in certain instances, especially this one, you know, we're talking about respect. I think they do bleed together sometimes where, sure, he is trying to distract, but he probably is genuinely angry with them at, at points. But um, yeah. I think it is a bit of both. Uh, either way, I love watching it. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he's, you know, he's always a character, isn't he? Um, and, you know, we're talking on Mourinho stories. I'm going to follow you up straight away with another Mourinho story. Um, again, from his time at Manchester United. So he's got two iconic manager meltdowns for United. Um, came from 2018 when he was playing his old team, Chelsea. I believe he left Chelsea for United at this point. Or had been sacked by Chelsea and then joined United. Um, yeah, he has, yeah in 2018 um, after Ross Barkley scored a 95th minute equaliser a member of the Chelsea backroom staff celebrated in front of him and he chased him down the tunnel (laughs) it went from sitting there rather calmly and okay we've conceded you know what can I do to suddenly realising this something was said to him and he flew I mean it was red rag to a ball yeah, or a blue a blue rag to a Red Bull. Um, in yes. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think everyone can remember this. is It's, it's such a, a surreal video to watch. Because yeah. like, a lot of these, it's just, you know, managers getting angry and yelling at people. This was, like, kind of crazy. You kind of didn't know yeah. what was going to happen. Like, was he actually going to run down there and hit him? Like, you know, what, what was the end result going to be? Um, yeah. I, th- I think eventually everyone kind of gets pulled apart and no one really kind of talked about it afterwards but um no definitely yeah. a really great moment yeah you know i mean Mourinho afterwards to say that the assistants apologized and the chelsea manager at the time Maurizio sorry has said he will he would sort that out um but you know it just watching the explosion of Mourinho for the you know the disrespect frankly let's be honest fair it was quite disrespectful to run into your opposing team's technical area and celebrate in front of them yeah uh, but the explosion just legendary i think and again this is another moment that we're going to see quite a bit of and there's already been memed to death uh through social media and it pops up every now and again yeah now that that is a really good moment um you know, but while we're talking about Mourinho, we might as well make it a hat trick of Mourinho moments. Oh, he's um, got three, three for him, two for everyone else. <laughs> it's supposed to be something about freeze with this guy. You know, I yeah. don't know if he ever did score a hat trick as a player. Um, probably not, but uh, we'll no. see. Um, so this, this one, and for me, this is probably the most iconic Mourinho moment. I don't know about you, but this is. Um, it was actually after a game against Aston Villa. Where I think Chelsea had lost one nil, they'd had two players sent off, and I think Mourinho himself had been sent to the stands as well. And you can imagine after that, where referees basically cost them the game, Mourinho's yeah. not going to be happy. So no. Mourinho comes out afterwards, and you know the the interviewers are asking him questions about the game, and all Mourinho says is, "I prefer not to speak. If I speak, <laughs> I'll be in big trouble. I do not like to be in trouble." <laughs> and for me that is just the the most iconic Mourinho quote I think even everyone knows it I think even if they don't know Jose Mourinho it's just it's just something about him and the way he says it it's just yeah. hilarious and just really sums him up 
Yeah, I mean, considering Mourinho usually is no stranger to airing his thoughts, as, we, as we've just discussed, and, you know, being rather emotive for him to come out and just say, I'm not talking, which kind of defeats the object of a press conference as well. I'm not going to talk. Just fantastic. Yeah, it's it's like somehow him saying nothing is a way of saying more than most managers ever do. It's, it's, it's such a, a yeah. strange thing. But, um, yeah. It's definitely uh, an iconic quote in saying that I... I use quite a lot in just everyday life when I can. Yeah. <laughs> and it's another memeable moment from Jose Mourinho, isn't it? Definitely. And he's probably got more memes than trophies at this point. Yeah, he can't be far off. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've come across the No Context Mourinho page on Instagram. Uh, it's It seems to be the home of Mourinho memes. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. To be fair, Mourinho's own Instagram is pretty funny. I, I'm not going to oh. lie. Yes, yeah, he he is. I think he is a he's very coy with the media, but I think he's a, quite a funny guy. Yeah, definitely. You know, even you know, he may not be the manager he once was, but he's still as entertaining as always. I think. Yeah, yeah, certainly a manager I'd like to see around purely for his entertainment factor. If he if he can just manage a team I don't like, that would be that'd be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, who've you got next on your list? Okay, well, I've got kind of two left, but I'm going to do one of them now because the others are all kind of interlinked. It's a bit of a long one. I'll get this one out of the way. And this is, I think, one of the funniest and most surreal moments at a press conference ever. And it is Nigel Pearson managing Leicester. Um, And I think they had just lost a game and a journalist was asking him, you know, about criticising the players. And I think Pearson had said something about them like that we'll sort out internally or it was something like that it was a really yep. like non-important question and pierce had just kind of lost his mind a little bit and, and it's not even in like a an angry way he just kind of yeah. looks at this journalist and he's like you know what's wrong with you you know have you not been paying attention for the last year you know <laughs> is your head buried in the sand are you you flexible enough to put your head in the sand because you must be an ostrich yeah you you, sir must be an ostrich (laughs) it's such a weird thing oh i've never heard anyone call someone an ostrich before that is yeah yeah it's a weird insult oh that man you know he was no stranger to a bit of controversy you know um with the whole James MacArthur situation as well, if you remember that, pinning him to the yeah. ground and not letting go of his shirt. Nigel Pearson is a bit of a scary man. It's I a bit mad. Lie. But you know, I, I watched the full um, press conference of this, you know, in the build-up to uh, this episode, and there's even a bit funnier after he calls him an ostrich, where he's <laughs> like, you are an ostrich. And then he asks him, are you flexible enough to put your head in the sand? Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> Like oh. everyone thinks of the ostrich quote, but the bit where Nigel Pearson's like, "Yeah, I'm flexible enough to put my head under the sand. That's what I can do. You can't do that. You're a journalist." Like, what does that oh. mean? <laughs> he is, I mean, enigma of man. I, I believe he's managing at the moment, isn't it? Win the championship. I believe he's at Bristol City. I think. Yes, that would be. He, he was yeah, definitely that's... there at some point this season. Yeah. And oh god, God knows how they're putting up with him. Yeah. Also, he definitely is not flexible enough to put his head in the sand. No, no offense to him, but I'd be quite impressive no. if he could. 
No, he's um. I'd never say it to his face though. I'd if he said it. But yes, Nigel, you're right, Nigel. Oh yeah, I mean, if he wants to call me an ostrich, he can. You know, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> yeah, he can say whatever he wants. Um, but as you know, we made reference to the James MacArthur situation as well, and you know that brings me quite nicely actually onto my fourth pick. Um, and this was probably the most iconic moment of an ongoing battle between a manager and his own player. So Mario Balotelli was at Manchester City. And he didn't exactly get on with manager Roberto Mancini. And I think, you know, they obviously had to scrap at the training ground where they had to be separated. And, you know, there was comments about Balotelli's conduct. But my favourite one has to be Mancini losing his mind and subbing Balotelli off in a pre-season friendly where Mario Balotelli attempted to finish one-on-one with the keeper using a roulette backheel finish and missed the goal completely. And Mancini lost his mind. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is a really great one. I think to me the funniest part about that is it's a preseason friendly. Like it doesn't even matter, and Mancini still absolutely just loses his rag at him. Yeah, I mean it obviously demands the best from his players, but <laughs> I mean come on, Roberto. I feel like you you've over you've overdone it somewhat. Just slap on the wrist. And then say, look, go out there, prove to me you're not a twat. I mean, at that point in Balotelli's career, very hard to do. But yeah. that was just an amazing overreaction to, you know, something that we all all have attempted. Um, okay, you know, in, in a friendly that in effect doesn't mean anything. We've all played a game that means nothing and tried something a bit stupid. Just the LA Galaxy players, if I remember rightly, didn't seem overly bothered at the attempt um ah oh, but it just you know say it linked into a big battle between um between the two you know between Balotelli and Mancini and you know, it was eventually saw uh Balotelli leave I mean Mancini also got sacked it was I'm not can't quite remember which way round that happened yeah it didn't end well for either of them there though in the end no. It was definitely a clash of personalities. You know, the yeah. very serious Mancini with the, let's say, eccentric Balotelli. Yeah, yeah. You know, eccentric player and maybe a, a hot-headed manager and it was never going to go well. Yeah, no, it was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So, um, should I go on with, I think, my last one? Although it's kind of three stories, I guess. <laughs> yeah, if it's what I'm think we discussed earlier then i certainly want to hear this yeah i think you you know one of them probably better than i do um so like i said there's kind of three uh instances that i'm going to wrap into one because really he's a manager who probably deserves a list of his own and that yeah. is ian holloway the he's been, he's been a while since he's been in the premier league to be fair i think he was yeah. last managing grimsby town so uh yeah he has since departed after falling out with the uh hierarchy i believe yeah it was something like that so uh yeah maybe not quite um at the same level as the other managers on the pitch but definitely off the pitch for entertainment factor he is i think the best you know even i love Mourinho, but holloway is he's just hilarious yeah yeah he he is one of football's comedians and i'm not entirely sure he means to be um, just his mannerisms, his accent—he is fantastic. 
yeah, the a classic Bristolian accent, which I probably won't try and imitate because it, it won't do it justice. But um, I definitely recommend trying to find any of these clips if you can. So the first one I'll start off with is I believe he was managing in the championship at the time with QPR and they'd just beaten Chesterfield. I think it was like 1-0 or something. It wasn't like a, a very glamorous game. And he was kind of asked about, you know, being an ugly win and what that meant for him. And instead of just being like, yeah, you know, please get the three points, he went on a bit of a tangent like he always does. I've got the full yeah. quote here, so I'm going to read it out. There, here I go. Okay. To put it in gentleman's terms, if you've been out for a night and you're looking for a young lady and you pull one, some weeks they're good looking and some weeks they're not the best. Our performance today would not have been the best looking bird, but at least we got her in the taxi. She wasn't the best looking lady. We ended up taking her home, but she was very pleasant and very nice. So thanks very much. Let's have a coffee. Which I, th I think is one of the greatest manager quotes ever. That is... That is some quote. Yeah. And you've got to filter that through a, a very funny Bristolian accent as well. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that is... Oh. Like, could you imagine Arsene Wenger saying that? Like, it just wouldn't happen. But no. With the Holloway, it just it makes sense. And I think it's yeah. stuff like that which is why everyone likes him. You know, even if he hasn't done the greatest job at some clubs. Yeah. And, uh, okay, to follow that up, I've got another Holloway quote, which is to do with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, oh, this, this, this is... This is good. Yeah. Nearly everyone's favourite footballer. Um, one of the best in the world. But what did Ian Holloway think about Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, here's what he thought. This is what he said about him. He's six foot something, fit as a flea, good looking. He's got to have something wrong with him. Hopefully, he's hung like a hamster. That would make us all feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, my missus has got a pet hamster and his cock's massive. <laughs> Which, again, oh. try and imagine Arsene Wenger saying that. Um, you just can't do it. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, like, <laughs> how like, like a professional football manager could go out and say stuff like that is, I think it's just hilarious. And uh, yeah. I, I wish he was still in the Premier League just for, just for his press conferences. But that, that is brilliant and a very, a very unique um take on cristiano ronaldo yeah it's certainly not a take i've, I've heard from anyone else at any point ever but <laughs> yes yeah, interesting definitely and i guess the final holloway one i, th I think you maybe have it uh, written down more than i do the actual quote but i believe he was kind of complaining about was it the bosman rule yes yeah the it, it, i'm i'm sorry it's wrong it, it it's a fantastic bit. It's one that I want to talk about, but you beat me to it. And yeah, just it's. I think it was to do with agents being able to force through players uh, transfers when they're over the age of twenty four and a free by basically holding the clubs and managers hostage by going to the press. And he was not happy. Yeah, it's it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it and you know he really wants to swear. You can see his passion because he goes and there's some complete person <laughs> just just that line is iconic that bit is fantastic yeah he's 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 just such a funny person you know 
But even making someone like that, like talking about contracts and agents and their role in like transferring clubs, it's just even makes something like that so funny. Yeah, it's you know, it's just little things like that when the the emotion can be quite funny. I mean, I'm looking now. We uh, say about a list of the Ian Holloway's best quotes, and I really want to chip in with this one when Joey Barton pulled a Mooney towards Everton fans. I don't know if you're aware of this one. I don't remember this, but go on. So Joey Barton's pulled a Mooney towards Everton fans. When asked, Ian Holloway replied with, it was a bit cheeky, wasn't it? But I don't think it was that bad. It would have been worse if he turned around and dropped the front of his shorts instead. I don't think there's anything wrong with a couple of butt cheeks, personally. If anyone's offended by seeing your backside, get real. Maybe they're just jealous that he's got a real nice tight one. With no cellulite or anything. <laughs> he's just... <laughs> it's just... It's just hilarious. Like, yeah. What a unique person. <laughs> he is. I mean, again, do go and look at the... At, at some of his quotes. This, he really... We talk about players and managers having media training now. But he clearly hasn't had any. Clearly doesn't want any. And I can't. I think the game's better for it. Definitely. I I wish we had more Ian Holloway's. To be honest, he yeah. just he makes it so so entertaining to watch. Yeah. Um. And my final one actually. You say that the manager who, despite managing Manchester United, I always thought was thoroughly entertaining uh, was Louis Van Gaal. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw the whole he, him feigning a dive on the touchline. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my favourite moment was going into the pre- after. You know, there was some uh, talk about him getting sacked around Christmas time, and he walks in and asks the question. He go, started asking the press, "Does anyone? Are oh, they just won the game? Believe me." He starts asking the press, "Does anyone want to apologise? Anyone want to apologise to me?" And tells the press straight up, I don't want to talk to you. I'm only here because the Premier League rules tell me that I have to be. So enjoy the wine, have a mince pie, and goodbye. And just gets up and leaves. <laughs> I think that kind of sums him up quite well, to be honest. Where it's it, it's funny, but also it's it's got a little bit of class to it. You know, have a bit of yeah. wine, have a mince pie, but I hate you and goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like you, but you know what? I'm still going to show you courtesy. But just, just the look on his face as a, a man who is, you know, just was so interesting um, with some of the things he said. Like you know, w- with Big Sam when he played West Ham, and you know, Big Sam called for him to be, you know, or criticise him for playing long ball, seeing as he likes to criticise me so much at it. And Louis Van Gaal produced the match report on passing statistics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, them, 71% long ball, us, 49%, which is still too high, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, making a copy of it to hand to Big Sam, and, you know, I mean, a note on Big Sam, probably a manager who deserves some a highlight reel of his own. It jumps, springs someone, him laughing at Swan... Uh, former Swansea defender Chico Flores for hitting the hitting the floor so easily, yeah. just laughing in his face. But you know, certainly Van Hal, his reactions to things when he did react were just fantastic. 
Yeah, he's really brilliant. And I know he didn't, you know, probably do the greatest job at Man United. But definitely, you know, a very entertaining guy and probably didn't do too bad under bad circumstances there as well, I think. Yeah, you know, the Man United team was in a bit of turmoil at the time. You know, they'd had, I believe, Ferguson had just retired. David Moyes had a shocker. Ryan Giggs had taken over for a little bit before Louis van Gaal came in. So, you know, they were through, you know, a really turbulent time. Um, and, you know, obviously didn't quite steady the ship, but... Yeah, he know. definitely, he tried his best and he yeah. gave us some good moments. So I'll, I'll always thank him for that. Yeah, certainly. The next thing that we've got to talk about, though, is something that, you know, so we thank Louis van Gaal for some great moments, but here's, this is something we can't thank anyone for. Now, at the end of the day, football is a game, right? This is something that we all enjoy watching, we all enjoy playing, and at the end of the day, it doesn't mean a lot. No matter the result, at, at the end of the game, no matter the result at the end of the season. The abuse this game is seeing at the moment needs to stop. It's all right saying a player's crap, a funny chant about a player on the pitch, if it's not racist. How many times do we have to say this? Yeah, no, it's definitely getting more and more ridiculous. I think every week that we kind of go on, it's more and more stories about kind of this player has been racially abused or this player has been racially abused. It, you know, it doesn't seem to stop really. Um, it just seems to increase every week to be honest. Yeah. Just by typing the words footballer racially abused into Google in two minutes of just scrolling through the first plays, first page of results, players who have been racially abused were Trent Alexander-Arnold, Sadio Mane, Nabi Keita, Hyung Min Son, Anthony Marshall, Marcus Rashford, Wilfred Zaha, Callum Robinson, Ian Wright, who is a retired footballer, is still getting racially abused, and Romain Sawyer's um, having since seeing a person charged for that abuse. Um, and it all happens through social media. Perhaps because social media offers almost a shield to some people that they can hide behind a name like something like, I don't know, um, Dan James's big toe or something like that with a little picture of Dan James and they think they're protected and can say whatever they want. Um, and as we're seeing as a counter to this, football teams are starting to suggest, you know what, we're just going to black out social media. We're not going to go on it. You will not be able to interact with your team, um, with the players. And at the moment, do you think that's the right course of action? I think possibly. I think um, I was actually reading, I think, an interesting article. Um, I don't remember where it was now, but it's basically talking about how we, you know, we've seen so many more, you know, instances of racist abuse, uh, racist abuse on social media. And I think the person was saying that part of it might be due to the fact that it's a lot more publicized than it used to be. Um, you know, it's yeah. always kind of happened, but now we're actually talking about it. And, you know, most of us are trying to get it to stop. But because it gives awareness to it, some people then look at that and go, well, I can say this to this player and I'll get a reaction kind of thing. And he was basically saying that, you know, these kind of blackouts can be quite good because you kind of stop that happening. You know, it stops people getting a response and it kind of makes people aware, you know, that, you know, if you keep doing this, then everything's just going to shut down and everything's just going to stop. You know, I think we will probably get to the point where players will 
walk off the pitch more. Um, definitely, if, when fans yeah. come back, if it happens in stadiums, I think that will one hundred percent happen. And I think yeah. you know, definitely, I think we need m- more than just one approach to it. And I think trying out different things like social media blackouts is definitely a way to go to you know combat it. Yeah, um, and you know, there's been some talk by footballing bodies that social media platforms themselves aren't doing enough to combat racism on social media do you think that's also true yeah definitely i think you know even outside of football i think in general you know social medias uh, don't do enough to combat stuff like that i think yeah. you see it in all walks of life and it's just it's clearly something that has been an ongoing problem for several years and i think yeah you know they've just been kind of ignoring it for as long as they can but i think it's getting to the point where something will have to be done about it yeah it's if not already at that point, um, you know, this. I'm looking at the uh, news on the situation from the Mail Online, and it said that the social media boycott will take place for one round of fixtures, which I don't think will be enough, personally. Um, I would, in all honesty, like to see it to the end of the Premier League, end of the Premier League season. You know, if you're going to give them what is, you know, one round of fixtures a week, that's, for me, that's not quite enough. You know, we need, you know, you need to really take it away, really take that ability for people to just communicate with their fan bases um, or, the, the, you know, their idols and their teams and that ability, that communication that football fans, a lot of football fans value. I don't think it'll just stop, you know, potentially stop the racists from crawling out of their little holes but i think it will also encourage more fans to act make an active you know combative stance against it you know because they they also lose out because of one small group of two iq one brain cell idiots um you know and they will then you know hopefully by you know losing that they will then be encouraged to actually combat it, whereas perhaps they were just, you know, maybe not seeing it, but being aware of it and not doing anything about it. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's also, you know, it's about sending a strong message to the social media platforms themselves. You know, I think if Man United decided just to take themselves off Twitter, suddenly I think Twitter might be a, be a bit more interested in dealing with their issues because obviously they bring in millions of people to the platform. So I think yeah. definitely a maybe lo- uh, longer term social media blackout could be more effective. Yep. And you know, I think similar to what you said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did eventually get there. Um, yeah. You know, I think one round of fixtures could help, you know, like anything, you know, it's better than doing nothing. But I definitely think they could do something more to really not just make fans aware, but also, you know, the social media companies to make them actually go, yeah. we can't risk losing these people. We've got to finally take action yeah yeah hopefully you know there's a push for social media platforms to be you know to be stricter on you know how accounts are made perhaps i know there's always been talk of you need to prove prove your identity when you create a social media account which would be a would be one way to fix i think it's quite drastic but maybe that's what's needed yeah you know there's definitely solutions out there um, maybe yeah. that's one of them, but I'm sure people can work towards one because uh, yeah, yeah the, the current system as it is is you know it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's clearly not working, and 
hopefully um, that it will be sorted soon. I mean, I think we also need to be aware of what other types of abuse are there unacceptable. You know, it's not just, you know, racism clearly unacceptable, but, you know, sexism in football as well needs to be clamped down on. Um, Sky have just brought the rights to the Women's Super League, which hopefully will provide a massive financial boost to the game and uh, the women's game and get it you know on an, a level footing with the men's game and hopefully that might help stop some of these you know sexist abuse we're seeing online as well but again that's something that needs to be cut out yeah definitely you know you hope it will kind of give it more exposure and you know it seems strange to say but maybe normalize it to some people you know yeah you know, millions of women play football every day it shouldn't need to be normalized it is normal but um, yeah. hopefully it'll help you know, it's you know, even now you see every time Alex Scott is a pundit on somewhere, she trends on Twitter because yeah. people are angry because she's a woman. But yeah, I'll be honest, she knows a lot well, more about football than me and a lot more of the other pundits. Yeah, and I think the same with Karen Carney on uh, BT yeah, Sport. Yeah, a lot of co-commentary now. Yeah, getting a lot of abuse. Um, you know, based on oh, look, it's Karen Carney again. To do once through the fact that she's a woman, she's new to the commentating gig like on the ability level she's not going to be perfect first time yeah but you, but the fact that she's a woman should not come into it I, I remember i think it was i don't remember what game it was but there was one where she was trending on twitter because there was a, a commentator that people were complaining about and it wasn't actually her it was just a different female commentator and people just said yeah. it was her because they're clearly just angry it's a woman not that it's her so it's yeah it's just ridiculous really and you know, like we keep saying, they need to just crack down on all of it and find a solution because it's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, I think the vast, vast, vast majority of football fans worldwide are hoping that uh, solution comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, definitely. So, after we've had to cover the darker side of football, um, we're looking forward to something, at least, with the FA Cup semi-finals taking place this weekend. We're seeing Chelsea taking on Manchester City and Leicester taking on Southampton. Now, Dan, what are your thoughts on both of these games? Yeah, um, interesting ones. I think, you know, it's always nice to see uh, not just, you know, the big teams in the semi-finals, you know, Leicester, Southampton. Uh, it's good to see that at least one of them will be in the final. Um, yeah. And I guess we'll start there with Leicester Southampton. For me, I think if this game was played two months ago, it would have been a lot tighter. But obviously, yeah. Southampton have gone on a pretty terrible run, massively dropped off. So I think, yeah, I think it should be Leicester uh, going through to the final. And I, I think they might win 3 1, I think, to Leicester. Yeah, I, th I would ha agree with you. You know, Southampton recently. They've uh, won two of their last five, lost the other three. When they've lost, they have looked poor. Um, then, you know, they were a really good side to watch at the first half of the season. They were causing problems for the uh, bigger teams, um, you know, the real nippy team. Um, but... Now, yeah, against this Leicester side, who admittedly do have some injuries. Um, you know, they've had players making COVID breaches, allegedly. Um, lost their last two on the bounce. Jamie Vardy's suffering a bit of a goal drought. So, you know, if they turn up, if Southampton turn up, I wouldn't count them out. But 
I'm not convinced that they will, and I think this lesson site might just be a little bit too strong for them. Um, so I've, I've got to agree with you, go with Leicester, but I think we're probably looking at a closer game, maybe 2-1. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. I think the, the thing they say is, you know, in a, a one-off game, anything can happen. You know, Southampton might just turn up and play amazingly on the day, but uh, I think Leicester will definitely be favourites. Mm. And, you know, a team that is currently sat in the top four, you know, not guaranteed to finish there, but, you know, could be up there or around there in a European position. You would think that um, sort of bottom end 14th place Southampton might struggle against that. But again, CFA Cup, you never know what happens in that game. Yeah, but, yeah, definitely. I mean, the other game I think can be just as interesting. You know, Chelsea versus Manchester City. Manchester City, of course, just lost in the league to Leeds. Leeds only having two shots in the entire game. Yeah, that was that was a crazy one. Uh, I mean, that for any, I mean, you look at the stats of that game, and it's madness to anyone who doesn't play the FIFA franchise because that is, you know, run of the mill for those games. But for Manchester City to not be able to get past Melier, not take some of the better chances, while Lee's just a sma real smash and grab. It was, you know, that was an interesting game to watch. And, you know, coming up against a, a strong Chelsea team who, apart from being battered by West Brom, have been defensively rock solid. Could City struggle a bit, or do you expect it to be, you know, the sort of expected score? I'd still expect City to be favourites. I think it, you know, it might be a close game, but um, I think they're just their extra quality will probably see them through. You know, I think City are definitely the best team in the country. Arguably, you know, we might end up being the best team in Europe this season. But yeah. uh, you know, definitely, I think they should be favourites to kind of do a treble, and I think this could be a big part of that. Um, so for me, yeah. I think I'd go with two 0 to Manchester City against Chelsea. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a blowout, but um, no, I do think City will be favourites. Yeah, it's um, a tough one, I, I think, to call. Because if Chelsea turn up, I think that City could have some a couple of issues. But I, I would expect them to come through. But as you say, I think it, we are looking at a tight game. Um, I wouldn't maybe a what a one goal difference. I'm probably looking again. I'd probably call a two one in favour of City, but um, you know City have looked. They've lost two of their last five and have looked a little more vulnerable. Uh, what, what do you think Chelsea need to do to you know topple City? I think it's it's just it's getting goals against them is the hard part right now. So I know Leeds yeah. got two on the weekend, but they were kind of on the counter-attack, kind of one-off instances. I think it is, you know, the, the trick of being City is managed to find a way through that defence. Because City are yeah. always going to score goals against you. You know, they may not win games 4-0, 5-0 like they used to, but they still score goals. And, you know, it's trying to keep as many out and I think just trying to find a way through that really tough defence um, is going yeah. to be tricky. And especially, you know, City, if they've got people like Aguero fit again up front, then they're just, they're a very complete team, City. It's hard, to, you don't really look at them and go, they've got many obvious areas of weakness, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you would argue that probably the weakest position on the team is um, probably the left back. 
Yeah, um, yeah. If you look at traditional left backs, they've got Zinchenko, and who's probably more of a left mid rather than a left back, and Benjamin Mendy, whose legs are made of crisp packets. Yeah, but, so, but even then they can play like Cancelo at left back and Carl yeah. Walker at right back. And if they do that, yeah. then suddenly they don't really have a weakness. Yeah, and you know Cancelo has been incredible this season. Um, Nathan Ake has also played at left back, although he hasn't been fantastic. I mean, he has been a rather poor signing from City. Yeah, he's um, not been great. No, and but yeah, you know you can't. It's very difficult to pick holes in this City team. I think they might struggle if there's a T if Chelsea play sort of a try and play almost be more direct I think not so much long ball direct but get the ball dribble at City with pace quick crisp passing and you can beat City's press if they if they really drive at them quickly City seem to struggle with teams that do that who really go out and attack them like try and hit them quickly um drive at pace but if if their passing game is even is off by a millimeter then city will hit, just counter the counter and tear them apart yeah i don't think they can kind of go toe-to-toe with city i think like you said they need to try something a bit different maybe that's playing on the counter-attack a bit more or like i said maybe going a bit more direct because i think if they just try and outpass city they're really going to struggle yeah and city you know we when we talked about City at the beginning of the season when it didn't look like they were performing, we said that there was seemed to be less ferocity in their press. There wasn't that intent there. But, you know, then we look at their rise back to the top of the table, that the intensity in that press returned. You know, they lose the ball and they are snapping to get it back. They want that ball back as quickly as possible. And, you know, it, it's, you know, well, look at the table. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, they're up there for a reason, I think. And are they still on for the quadruple? Yeah, I mean, they've got the League Cup final in a couple of weeks. Going to win the Premier League, could win the FA Cup, could win the Champions League. So, yeah, they really could win everything, really. Yeah, I mean, I think the the leagues are given. The Carabao Cup is, um, as you say, a couple of weeks away. You would hope. The EFL Cup is Sunday 25th, and they are they take on Tottenham, who again depends on what Tottenham team turns up. So, provided that they get through, you know, they've got a tough um, quarterfinal in the Champions League, and they're set up for a very tough um, semi against either Bayern Munich or PSG, depending on results tonight and tomorrow. You know, it's almost as long as they can, if they get to the final of the Champions League, you almost think they're eschewing to win it. But they've just got to get there, which it sounds odd to say that you're eschewing to win it if you make it to the final, but it sounds like the semi-final might actually be a tougher game than the final for them. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I think whoever wins that semi-final is odds-on favourite to win the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I guess we'll just, again, as we said earlier in the show about this week of football just got so much to look forward to hopefully a lot more to speak about uh but until then we hope you're keeping yourself safe and you will join us next week for the next episode we'll see you later